I ended up sleeping on the floor of the San Francisco airport. I was on food stamps. Um, and then in the last four and a half years, I've raised more than $10 million and invested in more than 100 companies. Hey folks, welcome back. This is Hong Kwan from FunBMC, and we're happy to have Arlen Hamilton here for episode nine. Arlen, thank you very much for taking the time to chat today. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. So I want to jump right into it. I think a lot of people know you from Twitter. A lot of people know your story. Um, but for those of us who uh, haven't had the pleasure, can you give me the quick Perlin, Texas to Silicon Valley story. <laughs> yeah. So uh, my name is Arlen Hamilton. I'm the founder of a venture capital fund called Backstage Capital. We invest in underrepresented, underestimated founders who are women, people of color, LGBTQ, just like I am. And I started fi like five years ago. I was broke. I w had a lot of housing insecurity. I ended up sleeping on the floor of the San Francisco airport. I was on food stamps. Um, and then in the last four and a half years, I've raised more than $10 million and invested in more than 100 companies uh, with those types of founders. So I was um, in Pearland, Texas. The, when I started the story, it was probably eight or nine years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was just a, a very long trip from then to now. And that's why I wrote the book. It's about damn time. I wanted to give all of the insights into how I did it. Cause a lot of people ask me like, how did you, how did you, okay, you said that, but how did you do it? You know? Right. So I wanted to do like a step-by-step. -step, this is what I did. This is how it could apply to you. Uh, it's a very extreme version of a story, but it's, um, there's a lot of things that can apply to a lot of people, especially in your, your audience of, of builders. Yeah. So looking forward to uh, the book dropping when this podcast drops, it'll be the book launch date. So Woo! We can definitely talk about that at the end. Um, you had mentioned that, you know, I think you're now over 130 investments. Can you talk about those first 100 investments? Like, how did you find those people? What were you looking for? What kind of founders yeah. are you backing? So we were industry agnostic on purpose. It started with me by myself for the first half of that. Um, I would really, I had spent about four years before getting my very first investor in me. Hmm. I had just spent that researching and looking and talking to companies. So I was researching the market and talking to my, who would become my, my customer really, which is the founder for several years before I had a dime. So when, when I did get invested in, in September, 2015, I was ready to start investing. Now I could only invest in a couple of companies at the very for the first few months of that because didn't have a ton of money but I had a lot of companies in a queue and so at first it was just people that I already knew that I had been working with for years and then it was people emailing me I used to do a weekly office hours that anybody could reach me because like just like you I wanted it to be different than mm -hmm. the status quo I didn't want it to be oh you have to have a warm introduction you have to already know me you have to already be part of this sort of network thing and then that's just you know people are just going to fund the same people over and over again mm -hmm. I wanted it to be very accessible so I would say on Tuesdays or Thursdays I can't remember which day I had an open day you could set up on my calendar 30 minutes to tell me about your company. And that's where a lot of really interesting things would come through. And it wasn't necessarily, I was finding all the companies that way, but it was, I was learning a lot about different markets and industries and it was just a really great way to, to research. And then I would go out and I would meet 
companies. I'd go to demo days. I'd go to, uh, I'd go to, to events before people were doing demo days. Cause I felt like if I met them at the demo day, it was a little bit too late. You know, yeah. a lot of people were going to meet them. So I would just do everything I could. I would do a lot of uh, interviews so that people knew how to e- reach out to me on email. Mm-hmm. And I had a, bunch of deal flow. I had a lot of companies coming to me, just hundreds and hundreds of companies coming my way. Then over time, when I built out a team, it was part of their their groups. They would do a lot of that outreach too. And then eventually starting in 2018, middle of 2018, we were getting so many inbound requests that it was almost like we, we had like a 24-7, 365 a day a year application process. Yeah. So we had applications open just all the time. And now it's like we see thousands of companies a year. Mm. Yeah, because a lot of other funds are doing, or even like the accelerators, like 500 YC, they're doing batches at a time. Yeah. You're just taking them all well, year. Well, we actually did a batch last year. 2019, we experimented with an accelerator batch of four yep. cities, and we did 24 companies after seeing wow. 1,900 applications. Because we did, the first 100 that's why it's one first 100. We call the backstage 100. That was like the way I just described. Yep. Then 24, because we, we reached that, that moment in May of 2018 of 100 yep. companies. And it was way ahead of schedule. And we were like, yeah, we are like, what are we? what do we do next? Who are we? And what are we, what do we want to accomplish next? We could just keep investing in companies, uh, smaller checks being very um, early with them and making sure that they had that confidence boost from us. Mm-hmm. But what do we want to do? So then we said, you know what, let's spend the next year or so building out an accelerator to take everything that we learned from these first 100 companies and put it into a more structured way and they could have the, each other to work with. And so that's when we came up with the 24 companies it was a, we really enjoyed it but to be honest it's just been difficult to uh, fund mm-hmm. so this year what we did what, what we came into it thinking okay we're going to take a year off we'll go to more cities and learn from more cities and then we'll we'll come back in 2021 with the accelerator and so we did a we put together a 12 city tour that we were going to do in may and june and of course Mm-hmm. Then March hits and coronavirus changes all those plans and yeah. within 72 hours. So what we're doing now is just we're just like talking to our audience every single day online and just reaching as many founders as possible and being a resource and being uh, accessible. And yeah. we have office hours that we're still here. Go to backstagecapital.com. Uh, contact us or sign up for our newsletter. You can find out more about those office hours. Mm -hmm. And uh, we plan on being around for, for several, several more years, decades. So there's a couple of good things that you just said there. One is like this style of, I guess, looking for investments that you've been doing for years now is what we're seeing other funds start to roll out. Like these rolling admissions, these online applications, these kind of like everybody's trying to build their audience. The second thing is, at the end of the day, like your investors are looking to make money. And the only difference that VCs have is really differentiated deal flow. Yes. So can you explain that to people who may not understand how VC works? Yeah. I mean, I didn't understand how it worked several years ago and it, mm-hmm. it, it was all about learning. Cause so everything has been like practical, uh, um, just common sense to me, you know, that's <laughs> yeah. how I learned about this, which is I was learning in these books and in these podcasts and videos and everything that deal flow is king, king, mm-hmm. which means that you, you are only as good as the 
types of companies and the quality of companies that you have access to. And I was just seeing so many companies that were different and not only the quality of them, but the, like you said, differentiated. So if a hundred different uh, VCs, venture capitalists, investors, whomever, if a hundred different uh, VCs can get into a certain deal, it's, it's one thing is that it may not be, it may only be good on paper. Like, you know, it may only be like this glistening type of, you know, gold sort of thing. And it, it, people, it may, may mean that people haven't dug into it uh, good enough or well enough because they think, oh, well, the next person has vetted this. The next yep. person is, is thinking, thinking it's good. So you kind of want to find things early. You want to find things that maybe even people don't get yet. That people mm-hmm. are like, oh, that's a dumb idea. Because who who thought that it would be a smart idea to welcome people into your home, right. and that people would actually pay for that? You know, billions of dollars later, that that has been proven out. Who thought that it would be a good idea to let people into your into your cars and to to do this this and that? So you want to find things different early, and you want to be able to have this this because you want to be able to get a good deal. You want to have a founder or founders kind of respect you and to think of you and to different, to think about you separate from the crowd of investors they can get from someone else yeah. investment they can get from someone else. Because especially in a, in a company that is, is doing well, is able to get a lot of investment, like money is money to them. Mm-hmm. They may just take the first 10 that say yes, you know, but you want to establish a really interesting relationship with the company so that they will be your first call. At least me, this is how I think about it. So that they will be their first call when something is not going well. Yeah. Because then, then you can be, you can give your insights and you can actually be helpful in those moments and maybe helps write the ship. And and if a founder trusts you to talk to when things are going wrong, they're going to give you better deals. They're going to think of you first when they Mm -hmm. have opportunities. They're going to introduce you to other founders that they respect. And they're going to say, I respect this investor. They were there for me when I needed them the most. And so I know about this really good deal that nobody else knows about. I'm going to put you in first. And if they have a second company, they'll come to you. Those types of things are really important over time. A lot of times people, investors are so interested in making a quick buck that they will, they will just look at what's the thing that can get me the, the upside right now. What's the easy way of doing this? So the flip side of that is a lot of the, a lot of the decisions that I have made and that backstage have, has made over the years seem counterintuitive and seem odd to people. And instead, what I'm doing is looking at this long term. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying these decisions that don't scale, these decisions that are person to person will pay off, in my view, over time and they will pay off big. Yeah. Yeah, that's one thing I keep telling my kids, like they try to understand, like my son uh, wants to be a VC when he grows up. Uh, so I'm trying to dissuade him. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm trying to dissuade him as much as possible. But if that's what he wants to do, then like I've told him pretty early on, like, you know, he's like in his teens. Um, but I said, the, the only game is the long game. Yes. And so it's hard to explain that to a kid who's like 10 or 12. But I think a lot of VCs are really, you know, Again, I've been in the Valley for 20 years now. Um, it seems to be a lot of very transactional people. 
Yes. Um, that want to get in on hot deals. And to your point, hot deals may not be a good deal, right? Just because they're hot doesn't mean they're good. Um, That's right. And those people might go away after the next crisis, after the next downturn, or you know, even outside of the valley, this coronavirus can bring the economy down and those VCs will go away. Yeah, there are a lot of people who are getting, they're not getting their phone calls answered right now mm-hmm. because they're reaching out to investors they thought were had their back. Right. But that was when good times. I mean, I, I haven't done more phone calls than, than the last month because yeah. this is when this is when reputations and quality of people, that's when it's made. This is yeah. when you see it. It's like when things are not easy right. and they're not glossy. They're just real. And I mean, I, I just really respect the people who are sticking by uh, their investments right now. Yeah. And I think from my perspective, um, you know, I've, I've been a recruiter in the Valley for pretty much 10, 15 years now. Uh, this is not my busiest time. This is crazy. Mm. Like there's mm. so many companies having, you know, hardships thinking about how to, you know, maintain burn or reduce burn. There's tons of people who need help right now. Uh, this is really like our time, like, you know, for people in services or people in the VC community, this is the value add. This is what you do. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. So moving on to the next thing, like I know you have this whole um, first million initiative and uh, you know, there's an old joke, just like the first million is the hardest. And then I think Mm -hmm. T T Boone Pickens goes, Oh, try the first billion. Um, (laughs) But what does that mean to you? The first million? Cause I think most people like I grew up in Brooklyn, like the first million when you're a kid, you're like, I want to be a millionaire. Um, Yeah. But now it's it's not just a million dollars. Right. Yeah, I definitely wanted to be a millionaire when I was young, too, because it's the same thing. Like, it's just you just see sort of grays. You don't see a lot of nuance and things mm-hmm. that you want sometimes. And it takes it takes a lot of reality to hit you to, to, to understand what things are really worth. I actually started your first million podcast because I want I wanted it to be a little counter to that idea. Yeah. It's actually it's not tongue in cheek, just just so. But it is a little bit to the left of it. It's just a little bit like your first million is going to catch someone's ear because if they're like me for several years of their life, they wanted to make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. I'm talking to people and saying, once you have your first million, whether it be your dollars, which is most of the time, or even like your first million downloads, fans, viewers, etc. What is that like? And is it what you imagined the whole time? Because a lot of people mm-hmm. listening are aspiring for that towards that. But what is it like once you have it? Right. And it could it doesn't have to all be, it's not like I have a certain preconceived notion. I wanted to ask the question of people from all over the world, different backgrounds, different industries. I wanted to say, what is it that we're all trying to attain? What is it like once you're there, once you've seen the mountaintop there mm-hmm. and have seen so many wonderful stories and takes on it that are superhuman uh, and I think it, it, it takes some of the interviewers off guard too, because I think they don't, I think they think, okay, I'm going to go and talk about money. Yeah. I really like talking about money, which is interesting to have that uncomfortable tension at the beginning. And then they start talking and you really get to the humanness of it all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and, and I, it just is exceeded my wildest dreams of what I have learned and what has been impacted and people who have been impacted. A lot of people who listen to the podcast, Your First Million, they're like listening to it while they're 
like working a nine to five yeah. and there are, there may, you know, they're commuting or doing something and these days at home, but, but working something that is not their million dollar uh, job. Mm. And it's so interesting how many people have reached out and said, what this millionaire said to you on that last interview has like resonated with me so deeply because, because if you think about it, we're all, we're all equal and we all have these common threads. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it kind of makes sense. Yeah. I remember there used to be like a secret millionaire next door or something like that. Um, yeah. I don't know if it's a TV show or something like that. Um, it's actually still on and I was asked it? to be on it. No way. I haven't told anybody that, but I was no. asked to be on it like a month ago. That's <laughs> hilarious. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. It's like around here, like every, every name. Everybody. Yeah. It, it doesn't have much value. It doesn't, doesn't carry much weight anymore. Um, no, now it's billion. I think the one I was asked to be on was called like undercover billionaire. Oh, yes. yeah. Is that like yeah, the undercover like, boss one? Yes, exactly. Okay. But you have to like you go live in a place for a month <laughs> and you don't you go there with like $100 and you have to start a new company and make a million dollars, something crazy oh, like that. Man. And they asked me, I was like, I mean, look at my bank account. There's no way I can be on that. <laughs> and they said, you don't have to be a billionaire. I'm like, I'm not even, I'm not even close. <laughs> right, <laughs> like, right. you know, silly. Hey, I see your family. I think, yeah. hey. <laughs> yeah. My kids are back from their walk. Um, yeah, that's great. Yeah. It's funny because when I was a kid, it was like, oh, to be a billionaire. Like, you know, this is growing up in the 80s uh, in Brooklyn. And that was just an unfathomable number, right? Like, yeah, uh, I don't know what it's like to, to be a millionaire when we have 20 bucks, you know, like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and now... Uh, now my kids are like, oh, whatever, millionaire. Like, how yeah, do I make my nothing. first billion, right? Like, yeah. they, they already think differently and we're just one generation um, removed, right? So I think that's sure. wild. Um, so I got a couple more. I'm going to jump right into a tough question for you because okay, go for it. I think you said that um, Backstage wants to fund underrepresented or more importantly, underestimated founders. And I think Fund BMC, the goal is the same. Um, you know, to encourage people to start companies and to do their businesses, uh, whatever, you know, size and scale that they want to hit. Um, but the question that I've received a lot is when you say you want to back uh, people of color, are Asian Americans considered part of that group? That's a great question. It's something that we've been talking about since we started. And mm-hmm. for me, my, my answer to that has always been, has been what do Asian Americans want me to call them? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that has, because when I first, when I first wrote Dear White Venture Capitalists, it was a blog post in 2015 where I was living at the airport and I wrote this thing about how you have to start investing in underrepresented founders. Yep. I said in that uh, to treat black and brown founders like you treat white and Asian founders mm-hmm. and to give us money, right? Mm-hmm. And I got people writing to me and saying, hey, it's no cakewalk for Asian Americans either. And then I got other Asian Americans writing to me and saying, yeah, you're right. Like, the, But the prejudice is I'm always considered IT or I'm always considered good with money or I'm always right. considered this. Yeah. I can never be the the guy that they invite out for the beer because I'm not in that thing. So there's this whole thing to it. So I said, okay, and I've asked this question so many times, where do, what do you consider yourself a person of color? Mm-hmm. You know, because I'm not going to be the one to put the label. Yep. So what do you think about that? Yeah, I do. But I think my experience growing up is separate, is different than what, um, I would say most of the Asian founders in the Valley 
are because like the Asian American experience is so differentiated, right? Like a lot of what we see and what we hold up are sort of um, uh, like Chinese Americans or Korean Americans or second generation where their sons and daughters are professionals who've immigrated here um, mm. in prior generations. Uh, I'm a refugee from Vietnam. Like I was born in Vietnam and I grew up, you know, on welfare, right? So it's, it's slightly different for me, I think. But I think the question is because, you know, in the Valley, particularly Asians are basically white adjacent. And I'm not sure if that's a good or bad thing necessarily, right? Mm -hmm. It's how you view it and how you come to it uh, from your background and your experiences. Yeah. Um, so for me, particularly, like, I want to see more Vietnamese um, founders, right? Like, it seems like a, a small niche, but our experience in Asia, Asian American experience for Vietnamese Americans are very, very different. Or, you know, other Southeast Asian Americans like Cambodians, uh, Malaysians, like they're very, very different than the mainstream yeah. kind of the big three, right? So it's really not just about race, but for me, it's about class and background and kind of privilege too, right? If your mm -hmm. parents are both technologists, then you're sort of expected to be a technologist. If you grew up in a household with two doctors, like you're, you're, you're coming at it differently than someone who kind of grew up in, you know, the back of a grocery store. Right. Yeah. Yeah. In our case with the 130 companies, anytime someone has been Asian American, they've also been a woman or LGBTQ. Mm -hmm. So we haven't had to, we haven't had to face the question in real time. It's almost, right. always been a philosophical question for us, right. but I'm very open to it. I want to know, I want to see what, what we do there, you know, and um I just think it's, I mean, I talk to people like Justin Kahn and Ellen Powell and, and Laura Huang and I'm just, you're very right though, because, I mean, obviously you are because you're saying it, but you're also right about when I think about who I talk to, I talk to people who are Korean, Chinese, or Japanese. Mm -hmm. I don't have a lot of um, people who are not that yep. in, in my, in my circle. Yeah. I so, I mean... Also. Yeah, go ahead, please. No, I mean, like, even when we're looking to fund uh, African-Americans, and then you have, like, these great founders who just came straight, like, Nigerian. Who are African. Yeah, yeah. like, they're like, hold yeah. up, I'm not African-American. Right. Like, I'm Nigerian. Right. I'm like, okay, you're right. We shouldn't, like, assume, right? We shouldn't look at them that way. And that's a, a huge market with great technology. Um, so many, yeah. you know, strong founders coming out of there. Um, so I think as the world is becoming more intelligent about it. And as we're really considering people's personal stories and that's just trying to put them into buckets. Absolutely. Um, I think we're going to have much, you know, a much richer experience from it all. And I think hopefully the goal for both of us is to fund really great founders, regardless of yeah. what they look like, where they come from, but just find these people, support them as best we can. And, uh, you know, all make a lot of money together. That's the, that's the plan. Yeah. So I know we got just five minutes left. I'll ask you the last question is, I know you got time for this because it's about damn time. Um, <laughs> t tell me more about the book and uh, what, what we can expect to read. Yeah, the book, I'm, I'm just really proud of it. I, 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 I would imagine you'd imagine I'd say that, right? But it's my first book. It's called It's About Damn Time. You can pick it up at itsaboutdamntime.com. Uh, as a as a hardcover, as a ebook, and as audio, and I actually mm. um, read the audio, which which was really fun to do. Yeah, I, I um, yeah, I just I I definitely was taught by books coming into this 
venture capital space. Like mm-hmm. people like Brad Feld, who eventually became an investor of mine, mm-hmm. but he wrote the Venture Deals 101 and he writes all these amazing books about venture capital. And then there are a lot of these other books that I read that just kind of uh, emboldened me and inspired me. And what I learned though, is that most of these books were like by white men. And they were my professors from afar without even knowing it. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted, I had a couple of reasons I wanted to write this book. One was that I just wanted to do the same thing that I'm doing in venture and in the business publishing space and just have more representation. Uh, and when I started writing it, which was a couple of years ago or a year and a half ago, it was even less, like it was even worse. Like they, they have gotten really, there's been a lot of uh, uh, forward motion since mm-hmm. since then and i'm very proud to be part of that and the other part of it was like i just like i want to be able to tell you some things that i've gone through and i don't know many people who have in less than five years gone from sleeping on the floor of the airport to investing in 130 companies and raising 10 million plus dollars and going through all the things that i've gone through and i just wanted to kind of while the memories were fresh and while it was still there, really encapsulate that and, and pass that on. Because I think a lot of it is, believe it or not, very relatable. And that's what I'm hearing from people. So I, I didn't want to do it if I couldn't be transparent. I didn't want to do it if it was going to sound like anybody else's voice. Mm-hmm. I wanted it to be something that I was proud of and could be proud of for years to come. And it's just something that was um, really therapeutic and cathartic to write. I feel like I have my, I get to say my piece about a lot of things. And I think that it's absolutely, absolutely relatable. What I've heard so far from, from people is that it just it motivates them. They put it down and they're ready to go and do their thing. And, and that's all I could have ever dreamed of. That's great. I think it's, it's really inspiring to hear that. I think a lot of people are going to get a lot of value out of this book from reading it. And I don't think your goal is to like get people to become VCs necessarily. No. Uh, no. <laughs> but to find their own kind of path, right? To find their own yeah. uh, future and to give them hope to like be able to build something, especially after what's going to happen, like with the economy, we're all going to have to come out of this, be a little bit more resilient, be a little bit stronger, yeah. Uh, yeah. help each other a little bit more. I think it's going to be a really valuable, um, uh, would you call it a business book? It's a business book. Yeah, okay. it's a business book. It's part part memoir. Um, yeah. It's absolutely something I wanted people who were starting their own companies or who were working for other people to be able to c- reference and come back and reference. So it's mm-hmm. definitely that's why it's not a full on memoir. Right. I think the memoir is, is years is years away. Yeah. This is practical stuff for you to walk away with. Yeah. Well, as a big reader of business books, uh, I'll just say it's about damn time. <laughs> we got a different point of view because uh, I'm kind of tired of the uh, same old, same old. Yeah, thank you so much. You seem like you have a really interesting story yourself. Are you? Do you have a book out? Are you going to write I one? Do not. I, I'm not writing a book. Um, people have told me this, and I just don't. I'm not the. I'm usually the guy behind the scenes. I think uh-huh. that's another thing with the, with the um, the Asian American story is that if I go into a pitch, uh, I'll go meet a VC, and they'll say, "Cool, you know, where's the other guy?" Yeah, yeah. Where's, yeah, this, where's the CEO? Right. This and is what I hear. Exactly. I'm, like, I'm, I'm a history major. I'm not a technologist. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not a CTO. But I. Know. Well, if you're a history major, then yeah. you understand chronicling 
uh, information and that's what you can yeah. I, I think you should write something if even if it's a blog or something or do right. a special episode where you for 30 minutes tell your story i think that'd be really fantastic yeah one of my last guests she said uh we should flip the tables and she would interview me and yeah. said, we'll do that for episode 100 <laughs> perfect you We're have a goal at least yeah. <laughs> well fantastic well thank you so much i really have enjoyed myself and i appreciate it Thank you so uh, for taking the time to join us today. Again, this is Fun BMC Episode 9 with Arlen Hamilton. The book drops on May 5th. Go pick it up. Thank you so much. All right. Cheers.